Gracious Lord, I thank you for who you are. Age to age, you stay the same. Faithful one, so unchanging. And Lord, we want to be still for the presence of the Lord is moving in this place. Father, you are so good to us. You are so, so good to us. You are so faithful. You've created us. You see us. You've made the way for us to get to you. But over everything, Lord, you are almighty. Lord, I thank you this morning that the wind and waves, that they still know your voice. Father, we heard the wind batter against our windows yesterday. And we see the power of nature. That, Lord, it is just a drop in the ocean in comparison to your power. You are the creator, the sustainer. And, Father, as I said, Lord, help us not just to glean information here, but would your word penetrate our hearts? Would we become more like Jesus? So, Father, as we read your word and as we study it together, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts to receive and minds to understand. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 17 this morning. And uh, we're reading it from verse 1 down to verse uh, 21. Verse 1 down to verse 21. Just to set the context, last week we looked at um, uh, Hagar um, finding out that she's pregnant through Sarai and Abraham trying to force the promise of God to come sooner. And she's fallen pregnant with um, uh, a son that she will call Ishmael. But in all of this and in her, we looked at how she was abandoned and abused. That actually she encounters God and she realizes that he is Elroy. He's the God who sees. He saw where she was. He saw exactly what she was going in. And now uh, we are some 13 years on from Hagar meeting Elroy. There's 13 years have passed. One, three, 13 years have passed. And this is what we read in verse 1 of chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. You may multiply, I may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Amen. We first saw Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 11. One of the first things... or the first thing we're told about Sarah is that she is barren. And you need to hold on to that as we journey through our sermon this morning, that Sarah was barren. That Sarah was barren. And God first appeared and established his covenant at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, going into Genesis chapter 12. And God has promised Abraham that he will make him into a great nation, that um, nations shall come from him. And from that moment, we see Abraham have his highs and lows. We talked about that last week. And then Abraham and Sarah, they get impatient. And their waiting, we saw, wasn't in the Lord. Because if it was, the strength would have arisen. But frustration arose, so they're not waiting on the Lord. And actually, they try to force God's hand and they play God. And they force this series of events to happen where Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Hagar has a child called Ishmael. But that initial promise where God met with Abraham and told him that he was going to become a father of many, up until now, was a time span of 24 years. That is a long time to wait. 24 years from the initial conversation that God had with Abraham. And then we saw that there's been 13 years have passed since um, Ishmael was conceived and where we are now. 13 years of awkward family dinner time. Could you imagine the family meals with Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Abraham, but also in the background, this thought that God was going to bless them and this promise was going to come for Abraham and Sarah. 13 years of difficult dinner time chat, 13 years of difficult family walks, 13 years of sitting there wondering awkwardly what's happening here. There's been 24 years now since God had first said to us that we're going to become um, the father of, of many people and we've waited all this time. There's been 13 years now since I had uh, Ishmael through Hagar. What is happening? God, what are you doing? 
And we can, I'm sure you could, if it was you or me, the, the gloominess about the, this kind of cloud arising over God's initial promise. God, where are you? What is going on? But we see that God had a better plan. God had a better plan. His original plan, which was that he would give a son to Abraham and Sarah. His better plan, his original plan. And we read in these verses this morning that Sarah, you're going to have a child this time next year. A year to wait. Only one more year to go. Sarah, you're going to have a son. And remember, Genesis 11, Sarah is barren. God has said, I'm going to give you a son. 13 years have passed since Hagar called God Elroy. In verse 1, God appears to Abraham. What does he say? I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I am El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. And this is the first name that we've seen that God has used about himself. The writer or the, the author of Genesis has called him Elohim at the beginning of Genesis. Melchizedek calls him El Elion. Hagar's called him El Roy. But here God appears to Abraham himself. He says, I'm, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. This is the first name that we see that God gives to himself. We see it used elsewhere throughout the Old Testament. But whenever it's used, it's, it's mostly used with the relation to the promise of descendants or nations. And when it's used elsewhere, it's meant to carry and remind us about God's covenant promises that he's making with Abraham in these moments. Because the promise wasn't just for Abraham, but it was actually for his offsprings. And we see Isaac and Jacob also use this name as well. It's used sporadically in the Old Testament, uh, about six times in Genesis, um, once in, in Exodus. And we'll look at that a few weeks' time when God reveals himself as Yahweh to Moses. It's used with, uh, with Ruth, it's used in a psalm. But it's used mostly, though, in the book of Job, which I think is very fascinating. It's about 31 times it's used in the book of Job. And it's one of the reasons why they date the book of Job uh, as one of the earliest written books in the Bible. And because the name that Job was using was the name that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob also used for God, El Shaddai. Because it was part of that covenant that God had established with Abraham here. We see Yahweh being used after the God establishes his covenant with Moses. It's the name he gives to him from then on. But here it is El Shaddai. It's used also in the New Testament. It's used in Revelation. Uh, and the New Testament kind of translation of it points to um, this uh, powerful one. But like I said, this is the first time it's used in the Bible. Genesis chapter 17. And it's used in the establishment of this covenant that God is making with Abraham. It's used in the context of 
covenant. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to take on covenant connotations? What does it mean for that name to bear something and remind us of something that God is doing with and through Abraham? Well, covenant has always been how God has related to his people. We see, um, we see Jesus when he institutes the Lord's Supper, um, this new covenant and the, the, the new cup, the, the new covenant and the new blood, um, my blood. Um, and we see that, that uh, even um, before that, we see these covenants being established. But even from the very beginning of time when, when uh, Adam was on the scene, it was how God re- re- related and had relationship with Adam and Eve was through covenant. And, and what that covenant was called was called the covenant of works with Adam and Eve in the garden. Now we have to remember with the covenant of works when it was initially um, set up, there was no sin in the world. It was a perfect world. And the way that God related to Adam was if you, um, how you live, there'll be consequences to your actions effectively. Do this, there'll be blessings. Do this and you will surely die. Eat the fruit of the tree. The relationship was based on what Adam did. And because Adam sinned, he rebelled against the covenant. He let down his side of the covenant. Sin entered the world and the relationship between God and mankind was broken. And God could have ended things there. Because we didn't hold up our side of the covenant, the relationship. But God in his grace and mercy triumphs over judgment, we read in scripture. He establishes a covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses with David and we see it prophesied through Jeremiah as well and what that covenant is called is called the covenant of grace that it no longer depends on our works because we're sinful and we're fallen but through faith and through grace shown by God we're saved by faith in Christ's works the second Adam and when God established this covenant of grace with Noah he's Do you remember what the sign he gives, you know, whenever we see the rainbow? It's a sign of that covenant that God had established with Noah. And here we've read about this this, this other covenant that God is making with with Abraham, who's a descendant of Noah. uh, That through Abraham, there'll be kings will come, an everlasting kingdom will come. uh, This covenant will know no end. uh, That that, that nations are going to be formed through, that, that all people on the earth are going to be blessed. And the sign of this covenant is not the rainbow, but is the sign of circumcision. Now, thankfully, (laughs) on this side of the cross, the sign of our relationship with God is now baptism. Praise the Lord for that. But here, when God is establishing this covenant, they are marking their skin to show that they are God's people. And the What God is saying to Abraham here is, I am going to make you a great nation. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to, there's going to be kings are going to come from you, Abraham. And God is speaking here for quite a long time to Abraham. 
We read 21 verses and most of it was God speaking to Abraham, telling Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do through you. This is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to mark yourself with circumcision as a sign of this covenant that I'm going to bring and do through you. Kings and and nations and descendants and offspring. Oh, Abraham, you're going to be blessed and all people are going to be blessed through you. But all of this rests On one single detail. Do we know what that detail is? Sarah is still barren. She's still barren. And I don't want to get in any hot water, but she's not getting any younger. She's still barren and she's not getting any younger. And God speaks for most of this time, but in in, in about verse 17, Abraham falls on his face and laughs. And Abraham interrupts what God is saying. And he says, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And then in verse 18, he goes on and says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, would you use my mistake and the sin that I've, I've committed in not trusting you and let that be the way that you bring your purposes and your plans into fruition. You don't need to do the Sarah stuff. We're getting on. We're getting old. We've already got a ready-made son here, Ishmael. I know it wasn't your plan, God, and I know it's not through Sarah. I know we went against what you wanted, but use Ishmael, God. Let him be the one that, that, that stands before you. Let him bear the covenant fruit, God. Let it be Ishmael. And God says, no, because my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Sarah's going to be the one that gives you the offspring. Abraham wrestles, and understandably, all this sounds great. God, it sounds so good that you're going to do this for me. It sounds so good that all these promises that you're, you've given me about the nations, the kings, the descendants, the offsprings, the land, all these things, God, it sounds great. But I just can't get my head around how you're going to achieve it, God. How in the world are you going to make that work? We're getting old. Say it as barren. And you can see Abraham wrestling with this this one detail, which really is the crux of the whole thing. Sarah can't have children, and we're getting too old. God, can you not just use Ishmael? This issue of childlessness with Sarah is what Abraham is struggling with. It's been their struggle all through their life. It's the reason that Ishmael is even here. It's because they got impatient and they were wrestling with God. I just don't see how you're going to achieve this. You've prevented us, Sarah said, from having children. But Abraham has not fully understood who he's speaking to. Because if he did, he wouldn't have fallen on his face and laughed. I remember the first time I ever felt called to ministry. And when I was um, in school, I would never stand up and speak in public. I'm sure some of you think, I write, Norman, you're very good at it now. You do it for too long. You you can go on and ramble. I I would never do it. I I couldn't. I couldn't read. 
I can't read in public. It's one of the things that stresses me most about a Sunday morning is reading the passages out loud. Because I get tongue-tied and I get tripped up and I get worried about making a fool of myself. And when I felt God call me to ministry, I thought, God, you've got the wrong person here. I can't do this. And I felt him say, no, you can't. But I can. And there lies our problem, friends. We so often overemphasize and overplay the part we have to do. We are but vessels. All God wants is your yes. All he wants is your yes. Because he's El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. Abraham is wrestling here. God, I just don't see how you can do this. This doesn't make sense. We're old. She's barren. He's forgotten who he's speaking to. I think that's why God begins this whole conversation in verse 1. By introducing himself to Abraham. (laughs) Abraham already knew who God was. He'd already spoken to him. He'd already seen him. But I think he needed reminding. Do we need reminding this morning who our God is? He appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. The conversation could have finished there. What is it? This God Almighty, El Shaddai, mean? Well, there's different, um, there's different understandings. Uh, Almighty or uh, he who is sufficient. All, all sufficient would be another, another understanding, another rendering for El Shaddai. Um, one of my favorites, which is uh, the thunderer, is another way to understand El Shaddai or the overpowerer, as well as another way to understand it. But in any of those understandings and renderings of El Shaddai, the accent in the, the original language is always over and on in the word, in the overpower. It is always about power. Power is so central to this name El Shaddai. So even if it's... Um, even if the, the better one was all sufficient, it, it, it wouldn't point towards like God's caring nature. Although he's caring, that's not what this name means. It's not pointing to that he cares in, in, in being sufficient. It po- would point to his ability to provide everything that you need. The, it, the focus is on his power in this. When we read El Shaddai, what has been signified as God's power and his sovereignty over us. One scholar says that the name El Shaddai describes the God who makes things happen by means of his majestic power and might. And this was the name that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob would know God by. We see that in Exodus chapter 6. And and I said that that, that this name is used mostly in the book of Job 31 times. Uh, And why is that fascinating? Why am I pointing to that? Well, I, I think that's amazing because what do we see in the book of Job is this man who is going through so many struggles. And this is the name that he's using in his struggles and through the difficulties and trials that he's going through. Friends, even in your difficulties and even in your trials, he is El Shaddai. He is almighty. I love that not only is our God El Roy the one who sees 
but he's the one who sees and who's able to act because he's El Shaddai as well. He sees where you are, but he doesn't leave you there because he has all power and all might to make all the difference in everything you're going through in your life. Abraham interjected though and interrupted. Why does he do that? Verse 17, we're too old. Friends, as I was preparing this morning, or not this morning, I do preparation before Sunday mornings, don't worry. As I was preparing for this morning, um, I, I, didn't, I went in a direction I didn't think I would go on in this. And, and this is where I've come to, and, and I hope it only, even if it speaks to one person, for me that's job done. The interjection and the interruption that Abraham bought was, brought to God was that we're too old for this. Friends, I want to say to you this morning that there is no one that is too old to be used in God's kingdom. There is no one that is too old to be used in God's kingdom. There is not an age we reach that we then become useless or redundant in God's kingdom. It's not how God's kingdom works. There's no such thing as retirement for Christians. Really, it's just promotion when we get to glory. There's no such thing as retirement. So if you've been speaking that lie or the enemy's been speaking that lie over you that you're too old, this is for the younger folk, that's not true. That's what Abraham was saying here, we're too old. I was speaking with someone this week and they drew my attention to Ephesians 2, which says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you're still here, there's still stuff for you to do. Granted, that might shift as years go on and as our, uh, our capacity changes and looks different. Maybe you're not able to do what you once were able to do physically, but that doesn't mean that you are useless in God's kingdom. Could you imagine if every single member in this church committed to praying for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in our parish and in our community and in our land? Could you imagine... As I was preparing, I was moved to challenge someone in our church to begin an over-70s prayer meeting where you just gather to pray for God to move. You might not be able to move chairs anymore and do this and do that, but you can pray. And do you know what? I wish we started with that. Prayer is enough. Because God can do the rest. There's no such thing as retirement in his kingdom. Because actually, as I said, it's nothing to do with our capabilities. It's nothing to do with my strength or my intellectual level, thank the Lord. Or uh, my ability to be able to uh, communicate or anything to do with me. Because if it was about my capability, Abraham and Sarah would be stuffed. The passage with them would have stopped in Genesis 11 when we read that Sarah was barren. If it was about their capability, there'd be no hope for them. But it's not about their capability. They were both, they were both over 90 and, and said as barren. Naturally speaking, yes, they had no hope. But our strength and our power does not come from the natural. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Our God has always been in the business of taking the broken 
the lost and the hopeless situations of this world and bringing his plans and purposes through them for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. One of my favorite verses, I know I've mentioned it before, that he chooses the foolish things of this world. He couldn't have got more foolish than this boy from Lewis, I'm telling you. But for some reason, I stand here before you this morning and all I can do is point away from myself and point to him. That's all we need to do. Because it's not about your capability. It's about his power. The almighty El Shaddai. Friends, from a barren womb of an old lady to a borrowed tomb, God brings life to dead situations. In deserts, he brings streams of living water that flow. God took Sarah's barrenness and transformed it and brought fruit from it. Fruit that blessed the whole world. Because through them, the Lord Jesus Christ would come. But not by natural capabilities, but by supernatural intervention. We have tried so long in this land to try and fix the problem of decline in church. We've changed this, we've changed that, we've changed committee names, we've changed the times of services, we've changed how we do the services, we've changed where we hold the services. None of that will work. None of it. We need supernatural intervention. We need a fresh touch of heaven. We need an outpouring of the Lord's Holy Spirit in this dry and weary land. He took a place that could have no life and breathed life in it so the life could flow from it. And what Abraham is doing by offering Ishmael is that he is downplaying and downscaling God's covenant promise to suit what they could see in the natural earthly ways. Friends, if we're not seeing what God has said he will do, don't scale down biblical expectations to match earthly realities. Don't scale down biblical expectations to match earthly realities. But let biblical realities shape what we expect to see here on earth. Let heaven come to earth. We pray it every single Sunday morning on earth as it is in heaven. Do we really mean that? Do we really want to see heaven break out? What does that look like? looks like people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It looks like broken marriages being restored. It looks like the blind being given sight. Looks like those that are broken and lost in sin, knowing wholeness, restoration, and freedom. Looks like the name of the Lord Jesus Christ being lifted high in this place. Let biblical realities, biblical promises, biblical truths, let what God has said He's going to do be what is done in this place. Not through you and I, but through the power of His Holy Spirit. Not through our capabilities. Because friends, if it was down to me, we'd as well to close the door of this church. And if it was down to you, there'd be no point in me being here. Now I love you guys, and you're great. For if it was down to our capabilities, we would have no hope. 
but it's not. It's down to El Shaddai, God Almighty. And how, how is seeing the things that God has said in his word even possible? By El Shaddai moving in power. All your life, all your hopes, all your dreams, the future of this church lies in the reality and truth that our God is El Shaddai. If God ceases to be God Almighty in your life, everything suffers. If God ceases to be El Shaddai in Sandy Hills, there's no point in us being here. But if we know the truth, that he is El Shaddai, that he is God Almighty, then look out the east end of Glasgow. Because you're about to feel the tremors of a mobilized people whose prayer life send ripples out across our community. The God of Abraham is still the God of today. He's still all powerful and he's still all mighty. Look at all that he's done. Look at everything he's done through the whole of scripture. All the miracles, the child for Sarah and Abraham, which was impossible, humanly speaking. To the plagues he sent to Egypt so that his people could be set free. From the, the parting and splitting of the Red Sea that allowed God's people through but enclosed and engulfed and took an end to the people, uh, their, their, their enemies that were chasing him. The, the provision he gave them through the manna from heaven every day in the wilderness. The, 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 the other provisions that we saw in leading and guiding them by pillars of smoke and clouds of fire or the other way around I think it is. The, the, the fish that swallowed Jonah. The shutting of the lion's mouth in, in, in the den that Daniel found himself in. The killing of a giant just through the pebble of a little shepherd boy called David. The walls of Jericho falling round by Joshua and his army just walking around them and blowing some trumpets and shouting. From the virgin birth to the bloodied cross and three days later an empty tomb. He is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. Even over death, he is all-powerful because he is the author of life. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. Hallelujah. And just in closing, imagine if we began to pray like we believed he is El Shaddai. Often the question we ask is, do you believe in God? And most of us, if not all of us, would say yes. But let me ask you another question. Do you believe God? You might believe in him, but do you believe him? Do you believe what he said is going to come to pass? He has the power to fulfill everything he has said he will do. It's exactly what he's saying to Abraham by introducing himself as El Shaddai. He has the power to fulfill everything he has said he will do. Friends, we look at this denomination which is on its knees. In such decline. And sadly, I think that's what's shaping how we are interacting, how we're worshipping and how we're praying. Is the decline that we're seeing 
rather than the truth that we've been told through the word of God. Don't forget who we worship. El Shaddai. He has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He has said it and he has the power to do it because he is El Shaddai. Regardless of your age or stage in life, if you're in Christ this morning and you still have breath in your lungs, you have a part to play. It's not about how much money we have in the bank. It's not about how good our worship sounds. It's, thank the Lord, it's not about how good a minister that we have. It's about the power of the one whose name we gather in. El Shaddai. The one who spoke the world into being. The one who time and time again showed his power through miracles that he did and that he does. Through the one who shattered the chains and the clutches of sin. And the one the grave couldn't hold. Sandy Hills, your God is El Shaddai. Trust him. Trust him. Amen. We're going to sing our concluding item of praise this morning. And uh,